0: Go ahead and have a seat. If you're here for the first, second, or third time, uh, ushers, you can come. Let's give out of how God has given to us. Uh, But if you're here for the first, second, or third time, you should have been handed a card that says, Get Connected. As you walked in, uh, just let the baskets pass by you today. Your gift to us uh, is to take that little card out to our info table as soon as you get outside, because we have a gift for you. It's our little way uh, of saying, thanks so much for being with us today. As you notice, a lot of us are wearing these Get Connected shirts. That's not because we just randomly wore them the same Sunday. Uh, We've been doing life group signups for the past few weeks. Uh, this is our like grand finale of them that's why we got the nachos to give people a chance and an opportunity or reason uh, to stick around uh, check out the groups uh, Anna and I are leading one she is phenomenal at it uh, I'm really excited for the book that we're gonna go through and if you're looking for a group that's gonna just gonna push us to follow Jesus in some different ways uh, you can sign up for mine it starts today at 3 p.m. if you can't make it today join us next or the next time we meet uh, you can sign up and we'll send you all the info for that and child care is provided in our backyard uh, which is always great good because keeps the kids on the other side of the glass. That's always great. Uh, and we're also having nachos, which is just a fun thing for us to do together, uh, for us to come together and spend time as a church. Uh, we are launching into a new series today. It's on the book of Titus, and it's going to center around this idea that I think as Christians, sometimes we get too confused over. We, we get worried about it that we're somehow going to miss it. Uh, if you're like me, your number one goal in life, okay, following God, that's one. So 1A is don't look dumb. Like, that's our plan. Just as we go through life, don't do anything that's going to make us look bad or look dumb. Uh, I was talking with Anna a couple nights ago, and uh, she's big into like the Google Docs and Google Spreadsheet and Google Office, like all that stuff. And I like my boxes the way that they are, the way that they always have been on my hard drive because if my hard drive ever crashes, everything's lost, but it's never going to happen to me. That'll happen to everybody else, never to me, which are famous last words before somebody says, you know, you really need to switch everything over to Google Drive. So she's explaining to me like how I need to do this and all I'm thinking of, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to be an idiot. I'm going to do it wrong. Everything's going to go wrong and Google is going to crash because I'm going to do things wrong. And I'm like, I'm ending the conversation thinking, Okay, everything you're saying makes sense, but I don't want to do it because I'm going to look dumb. And so our fear, a lot of people for Christians, is our fear is that somehow we're going to miss God's will for our life. We're going to check A instead of check B, and then everything in life is going to be ruined. We think that God's will for us is kind of like the movie Forrest Gump, where we're just going to back our way into everything absolutely going perfectly for all time ever and us dying as millionaires. But God's will is different for that, and we're going to look at uh, God's will through the person of a man came, man named Titus, and this is going to give us a weird crazy big picture of how big God's plan and God's love actually are for us. Uh, Titus is a little book surrounded by a lot of other little books, so we put like the whole area code of where he is. If you get close on any of those books that's up there, you just kind of uh, slowly get to Titus, and that's where we're going to be for the next five weeks. We're going to go over the whole book, uh, taking it chunk by chunk, Uh, but what it is is it's a letter to a guy named Titus who's a pastor in a city called Crete. It's a big island uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, and All sorts of things there were going crazy at the point that he started there. Uh, People in Crete, they had a few big goals, a big priority. Like culture of their city was you could lie to anyone. Like, that's okay, That's acceptable. There is no you have to tell the truth, nothing about the truth, so help me God. It was just do whatever you want. So within this culture, we're going to lie however much we want. They said and they believed that the Greek god Zeus was actually born and buried there on their island. And because they could lie about anything, they didn't even have to back it up. It's like, yep, this is where Zeus is from. We are basing our lives based on Zeus and what he did. And what he did was things that were bad for society. So Zeus became a god because he would go around and he would lie to women, he would seduce women, he would impregnate women, and then he would leave the women. And so this is how this whole society is run. And so Titus is sent there as a pastor to try and not just make right of the situation, but to bring people to Jesus. And if Titus can live as a pastor of a church in a place where it is okay to lie to women, seduce women, and pregnant women and leave the women, man, if he can do it, we can certainly do it. So, this is a great thing for us to look at and us to see God's heart, God's desire, God's love, God's plan, and God's will for all of us. But why would we even care? Like, you don't know my life. You don't know the things that have happened. You don't think, like, you don't know that if you read my rap sheet, you read the things I have to write on my job resumes, uh, that, that God would even have a plan for me. Like, is this even a thing? And what we're going to see really early on is that God's will for us is good. God's will for us is good. So let's, let's go. Let's turn the key. Here we go. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. It starts out like this: This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been sent to proclaim faith to those that God has chosen, and to teach them to know the truth that that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised to them even before the world began. And now, at just the right time, He has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. So right away Paul here is going at the birthplace, the death place, the culture that's based on Zeus, the guy who lies and leaves and leaves disaster behind him. He's saying God is going to be different because with God you know that he's going to tell the truth. He says that right away. God doesn't lie. God tells the truth. I'm bringing you a message of truth, which God has promised, which is also Paul bringing that again. He's saying, even if you don't see it right now, God has promised these things. You might not see it right now, but you know that eventually it's coming because God's promised it, and living by these things leads you to live a godly life. Not a life of lying and seducing and then leaving, but a life of sticking up for for God and, and the benefit and the blessing of others, loving God and loving people, because God's will for us is good. Verse four, he continues. And this is where he gets personal. Paul has known Titus, we think up to this point, for about 15 years. When Paul became a Christian uh, in a crazy circumstance because he hated Christians until the day that he became one. So if you're here and you're like, I don't know what this church is, man, Paul is your guy because he was an absolute skeptic and then Jesus completely changed him. Paul knew Titus for years. And so he goes from who he is to who Titus is. And he sends him this thing, verse 4. says, I'm writing to you, Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. He's saying, I've I've planted you there to start a church. Your mission is you live in a place that makes Las Vegas look like kid's church. Your goal is to be there and to live for God. That's a huge task. So what is he asking for, Titus, from God? Grace and peace. He's asking for encouragement. He's not just saying, go out, you're on your own. Go get them, buddy, I trust you. He's saying, may God give you what you need. May God encourage you as you live out the calling that God has on your life, the plans that God has on your life, knowing how crazily difficult that might be. May you experience God's encouragement for that. Uh, My daughter, Ellie, is 10. Uh, She's got lots of friends here because she's a very outgoing, very fun girl. Uh, And this year, she ran cross country for the first time, which in our family, that's a way of life. For every other sport, it's punishment. Uh, And she finished that race right up there, and uh, her best time for the year in the mile was seven minutes and three seconds. So she's so excited. I'm excited. And there's that dad part in me. It looks, there's a very small difference between 703 and 659. And if you can say six instead of seven, like that's huge. So I tell her, hey, this is what we do. If we go out to the track, it'll just be you and me. I'll give you these splits. I'll run this far ahead of you. And if you just follow me for four laps, we'll get you under six, under seven minutes. And you can tell everyone, hey, 6.59, no one will care but me. Uh, but she, because she's a good daughter, she's like, yep, Dad, I'll do that. We make a plan on a Saturday. We're going to go out to the Clovis East track. There's nobody there uh, except for me and her sister. Uh, and we're going to time it. And I'm just going to do the laps, and she can follow me. And if everything goes well, man, 6.59, that's the plan. So we show up at East. And uh, Joel Vote, he's a high schooler who sits right over there in first service. Uh, he's there with a bunch of other friends because he runs on the cross-country team there, and they just finished their workout. So they're doing their cool downs, and they're putting on their normal length shorts, uh, and, and they're getting ready to go. And so I say hi. I know a bunch of them and stuff like that. So um, Ellie does her warm up. We fire the imaginary gun. She starts. We run our first lap. Uh, we come around for the first lap. And Joel and all of his cool, we're 16, or 17, we can drive. There's no reason I have to stick around for a 10-year-old to run. They're on the fence. They're cheering for her. They're yelling for her. I look back, and she's got a huge smile on her face. That's the picture of what's going on here. Is Paul, the guy who has spent his whole life planting churches on everywhere that we can see on that map that was up a second ago, he's cheering on Titus. He's saying, you can do this because God is going to give you grace and peace. And so with Ellie, like I told her, as soon as we're off track, you don't have to run anymore. We're going to break seven or we're not. And so we ran like two laps more and we said, okay, we're done. And she went home and she's got a huge smile on her face because they came out to cheer for her and it was awesome. And she didn't have to run a whole mile, which I think all of us are going to be excited about when that's our turn. But Paul is here saying to Timothy, God is going to give you grace and peace to to empower you through every single difficulty that you're going to face in life. And that's significant for us because God's will involves every person on the planet. God's will involves, it stretches out, it reaches out, it grabs other people and brings them into every, it brings people into God's will and that extends to every person on the planet. So Paul says, verse 5, he continues, I left you on the island of Crete. So what's going on here is up to this point, they had been going around that map in the Mediterranean world, planting churches. They'd be there for a little bit in each city, and then they'd leave to the next one and entrust the work that God had started to people who can continue it. And when they get to Crete, Titus stays, and Paul, his boss, his friend, his mentor, leaves. And if you look at what Crete looks like, like there's a good reason to stay, all right? That is a lot of really good reason why I would want to stay, why that is a good thing. But you look at it spiritually speaking, and and if we look at the things that were going on with piracy, because they're an island that everybody has to pass through, and so they're ripping off boats and families and communities, like, like everything. Stealing is their job. Lying is their culture. Seduction is the way that they do life. You look at that from a Christian perspective of where we want to plant churches that are going to survive, and that does not look like a place where you'd plant a church. Because everything that's making it a dark place, everything that's making it a bad place to live. But the thing is, is that Crete matters. The lives of people who are living far from Jesus, the lives of the pirates who are stealing from people, the men who are seducing women, impregnating them, and then leaving them, uh, the women who are going through difficult life as single moms, that all matters. God looks at the island of Crete, a place that has fallen off the map spiritually, and says, that's where I want to plant a church, because there are sons and daughters of me who live there who need to have their sins forgiven. There are believers who are going to meet Jesus, who are going to get baptized, and they need to get baptized, because it's a public declaration of their faith. And then they're going to go, and they're going to use their spiritual gifts to build up and to run a church where other people are going to meet Jesus, and their lives are going to be changed. On a worldly perspective, this makes no sense of why a church should grow here. But with God, God looks at it and says, those people there with a pulse, that's my people. And so I'm gonna plant churches there. And I'm gonna change lives there. And I'm gonna grow the future of a country that's falling, that's running away from Jesus. And I'm gonna turn it so that it runs back to me. Because God's will involves every person on the planet. That's why we do things like we focus on missions every Sunday because locally, nationally, globally, this is our heartbeat too is that we need to be looking out, not just looking inside it's because God wants us to love the Lord with our heart, our soul, our mind, everything that's in here and then turn around and love our neighbors ourselves that we're vessels of God's blessing as it goes through us to make a difference uh, Earlier, we talked about, Pastor Greg talked about it on news, about the Live the Mission Banquet on February 28th. That's going to be a great chance for us to get pushed by stories about how God wants to do that and how God is doing that in places on the other side of the planet. If you want to buy a ticket or buy a table, you can do that at the info table on your way out. And it's going to be a night of us being encouraged and shocked and motivated by the good things that God is doing. And as God does this, God uses leaders, surrendered to him to accomplish his will. Verse five, he says, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who do not have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. He goes at two things right away. The first thing he goes at is men. He's saying, guys, it's your job to lead your family. He doesn't say if it's easy for you. He doesn't say if you're comfortable around spiritual things. He's saying it's your job to lead the family. And we lead by serving. We lead by laying down our rights and our privileges to lift up everyone else and make it easy for our kids to follow our example in following Jesus. That does not mean that you have to be perfect. That means that you wear your faults and your forgiveness on your sleeve, that you live out the good news of Jesus who forgives sinners for your wife to see and for your kids to see, that you take the lead in leading spiritually. And we do that whether it's easy or whether it's difficult. I think one of the biggest witnesses, guys, that we have to our families is to lead in spite of our failures. Because nobody is going to know our shortcomings better than our wife and our kids. And so we lead out in the midst of that. We live out the forgiveness, the new life that Jesus offers, the second chance, the former life which might have just been former last week and we're just now coming to Jesus and living in all the newness that that brings. We live that out for the benefit of our family. He goes out, guys, and he goes at family, right away. And he says, you must be faithful to your wife. He's not just talking sexual faithfulness. And this is part of the reason why marriage is such a big deal. We're going to be a church that has a culture of marriage, which means that if you're living together uh, and you're not married, our prayer, our, one of our missions as a church is to create a culture of marriage here, where men and women who are living together get married. And it's not just for the sexual part of it. Not just so that's right. It's that like every part of our lives are connected two people becoming one financially, relationally, emotionally, vocationally, as now work is involved in this. Two people becoming one and living life as one. Because from that, it creates a stable environment for kids to grow up seeing mom and dad together forever. And so as a church, we wanna be behind that as much as we can to make this a place where marriages happen and marriages are strong and marriages are, are, because we're a team and this shepherded toward the cross together. And so God uses leaders, surrender to him to accomplish his will. And he talks about marriage. He talks about family. And then he goes over 11 things about what he's looking for in these church leaders. And none of them are you're entertaining when you talk about the Bible or you can sing on key. Like all of these things, out of 11 of them, 10 of them are character things. And then there's one skill for ministry, one thing you would see lived out on a Sunday morning. He says this in verse 7. It says, for an elder must must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must be a devout, and he must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and shows those who oppose it where they're wrong. So in all those things, all those ways, so much of it is how we live. So much is the way that we're supposed to act not just because it's an outward show, because it's words that God's done in our heart. One thing it says at the beginning that all of us with young kids should take heart and say, like, this is for us, he talks about kids. He says, he must be faithful his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Okay, there's a difference between wild and rebellious at 25 and a difference between being wild and rebellious at 6, if you have little kids who run around and are wild and rebellious at six, there's a difference between being a six-year-old acting like a six-year-old and a 25-year-old acting like a six-year-old. Okay, one of the reasons you will not see my son running around here after church and going crazy and sprinting around everything and eating, uh, drinking his body weight and lemonade is because he's not here. All right, his aunt took him after first service, and after first service he was running around. He has his jacket off like an airplane. He's like, "Woo, woo, woo!" Because he's six. I, if one of you who are 20s, 30s, 40s decide to do that, then we'll pray for you, and we'll love on you, and we'll say, never do that again. So if you're like, man, my kids are a mess, I am barely made it here, thank God they're in kids' church with teacher Alex right now, because if they were here, I would, they're kids. And they need to be free to act like kids. And this message is for me right now because I want to control my son because if he acts crazy, then I look crazy. And I'm definitely not crazy. You guys know that part. Uh, but the, it's, a, it's an encouragement for us. Kids will be kids. If they're 40 and they still sleep with Star Wars pajamas, with footies, you know, that's one thing. But, but let kids be kids. And what's the one skill that he talks about here? It's the ability to believe the message about Jesus and pass it on. Verse 9, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they're wrong. See, and you believe the message that God loves you from the very beginning, that all of us have sin in our lives, that separates us from God, that separates us from ourselves, that separates us from other people, and that Jesus came into the world to end that separation, to forgive us of our sin, and bring us into a right relationship with God, that he believes that from the inside of his heart, that we're going to be a church of men and women who believe that, believe that there's new life in Jesus, and then the one skill can pass it on, can explain it to other people. That as we live our lives surrendered to God, we're doing the things that are on the list, that we have a heart for other people to get to know God the way that we know God. And not everyone gets a participation medal. That's why why it makes a point. That's why that's an important thing, is that it's not just, hey, as long as you believe stuff about God, that everything is going to be fine. It's what we believe about God, about who we believe Jesus to be. So he continues in verse 10. He says, for there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they're turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars. They're cruel animals. And they're lazy gluttons. This is true. In a culture where everything lies and everybody says it's okay to lie, this is the part that he says is true. They're after money. They're liars. They're wild animals, and they're gluttons. In Crete, it's like one of the things that's known about this, one of the reasons why that makes sense is because there are no wild animals anywhere. Like, it was an island free of animals. If you hate dogs and cats, like, this is your place. Like, there's nothing there, just humans, except they're acting like animals. So Paul's saying this is a problem, and as they're acting like animals, what was going wrong is they were distorting the gospel. They were distorting the good news. They're taking what God has done to make us right for himself, and they were piling human activity on it. There's a great saying, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. And they're saying, you can have Jesus, but what you really need to do is circumcision. It's this medical procedure that somehow is going to guarantee your spiritual salvation. That it's not just medical preference, it's spiritual salvation. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. You can't do that. And so Paul is telling Titus, you need to silence these people. They need to stop talking about this because they're turning whole families away from the gospel. And this still happens today. I mean, we're taught all the time that for us to be a good Christian, for us to be a good person in society means that we need to accept every form of sexuality, however it's presented to us. Because if we say that that's not the way that we are created, then we're on the wrong side of history. And for us to be Bible believers in Southeast Fresno in 2020 means that we love people with enough heart and enough compassion, enough mercy to tell people when they're wrong. It's like if this building catches on fire and everybody wants to run this way because they feel in their heart that running this way is the way to get to safety. No, no, no. It's the loving thing to say, turn around. There's a door there, 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 and there. And they all lead somewhere better than running that way. It's with tears in our eyes. It's with broken hearts that we tell people this is the way that God created sexuality to exist between a man and a woman in one marriage for one lifetime. And no one gets, just gets a participation medal for believing Instead, it's, it's taking every part of our life to the cross, which is the point where our sin was paid for, where our old life became our old life, and God invites us into a new life where we now live out the rest of our lives, putting every one of our rights and privileges and our way of doing things down and taking up God's way of doing things. That means that forever our life is going to be turning away from the way that we used to live to run after God, even if that costs us everything for the rest of our life. A daily decision to stand up, to U-turn, and to run back to Jesus from however far away we find ourselves. That's why baptism is a big thing is because it's the picture of our old life dying with Christ as the person is put underwater and then being risen to new life, symbolizing, man, the fact that my old life is gone. There are times where I might go back to my old life, but that's not who I am anymore. Because like we just sang, I'm a child of God and I'm a child of God. And each one of us are children of God who sometimes make mistakes, who sometimes sin, but that does not change the fact of who we are. And running to the cross, embracing the message of Jesus' death and resurrection for us embodies that, lifts that up. It says that we are bought with a price and now we live a new life. And we do that knowing that even in difficulty, we can live in God's will as we do our job. Let me explain that. We live in God's will as we do our job. Verse 15, he closes and he says, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Everything is pure. What Paul is saying to Titus is as you live in a place that is morally disgusting, is spiritually broken, is wrong in every single way, you've met Jesus And Jesus, who lived his whole life without ever sinning, traded his perfection for our sinfulness so that when God looks at you in your city that's gone off the rails spiritually, God doesn't see you. God doesn't see the stink of your city. God sees Jesus' perfection poured over you. You have been made pure. Now go is his message. As you go into your city, as you live in a difficult place, as you say, okay, I'm following Jesus. This is new. This is difficult because everything about me now has to change. What do we see is we see God's will coming inside of us, God's power picking us up, God's grace encouraging us, and God's peace leading us forward as we live for Jesus in our world, in our work, in our family, in our home, in the situation where we are right now of trying to put stuff back together, which is totally inside the will of God. How do we create a pure heart? We create that because Jesus created it for us. He traded his pure heart for our disgusting, selfish, broken heart. And that's a message that brings transformation everywhere. And Paul starts out this whole thing by telling telling Titus, that's your job. Your job is to tell people about the good news that will change everything. And as you go into a place where everything is broken and everything is messed up, you go with my good news. You go with my grace. You go with my peace. That's your job is to go into the world and live as a Christian and tell people about Jesus and what God has done in you, God can do in them and God can change cities. So verse 13, he says, this is true. Reprimand those sternly to make them strong in their faith. They should stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who've turned away from the truth because everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Such people claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient, worthless of doing any good. So then the flip side of that is people who live knowing that their hearts have been pure of people who live taking that purity that's inside of them and then pushing it to the lives of those around them, inviting other people into knowing the purity, the purification of God, the love of Jesus that changes and transforms everything. That's the dent that we're supposed to make on society. And if Paul can set up a guy like Titus in a completely morally corrupt, bankrupt, blacked out city like Crete, you can do that in our family. You can do that in our jobs. He can do that at school. He can do that in our neighborhood. He can do that in our house. He can do that in our bedroom. He can do that uh, as we go through life because that's what it is to live in the will of God As we take what God has done in us and we invite it to everyone else who wants to be part of it. Let's stand and pray.